Good morning. morning. Welcome this morning. It's awesome to be in the presence of the Lord and the house of the Lord with his people. Let's pray real quick. First of all, I want to pray for Pastor B and his family who aren't with us today. Lord, we lift up the Testorf household to you. Thank you for them. Thank you for their service to this body and to this community. We pray that you would bless their time together as a family. We pray for their safety and their health and their protection. We just thank you so much for them. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here today. Thank you that we have the chance to come into your house and gather and worship and hear your word and receive from your presence. Lord, we know you're here today because your word says that when we gather in your name, you are in our presence. So I pray that you would help everyone today to have this exciting expectation of what it means to gather in your house and to be in your presence and to get to know you just a little bit better and to get to know your heart just a little bit more and to get to receive from you in good portion. I pray that everyone here today would be of good faith and that their faith would be strong. I pray that everyone here today would cast their cares upon you and you would sustain them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we have a special guest here today who I'm going to invite up in a few minutes after I share a few things. She is uh, what the burden that the Lord has put on her heart gets to be a little part of our of our sermon today, if you will, and she's going to come and share. But I want to start out in Psalm 24. It says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world, and those who dwell in it. So the earth is the Lord's, and those who dwell in it are the Lord's. Amen? When you think about that, when you, uh, it's interesting when you think about the people on this earth. When you go back to the time of Christ, there were about 200, 250 million souls on this earth, give or take. That's an estimate. If you go back to uh, 200 years ago, there were about 900 million souls on this earth. If you look at the last hundred years, we've had such an explosion in population. We went in 1917, there were about 1.8 billion people on this earth. And today, just a hundred years later, depending on whose estimates you consider, there's somewhere between six and a half to seven and a half billion people on this earth. So think about that for just a minute. The time of Christ, 250 million. 
18, 17, 900 million, 19, 17, 1.8 billion, and 2017, about 7.5 billion people. So in the last 100 years, we've seen what is called a population explosion. When you think about that population explosion, we know that from the time man existed on this earth, that sin was present. We know what, what happened between Adam and Eve, what happened between the first siblings, and how things have grown. When you think about the spheres of influence on this earth, you think in terms of political spheres of influence, economic spheres of influence, religious spheres of influence, and then you have the faith. Notice I separate religious spheres of influence from the faith. When you think about what's going on in the world today, violence exploding in the Middle East, civil wars in multiple countries there, terrorism being spread through Islam and other means. We've seen a resurgence of communist dictatorships. It's interesting because history had proven that communism was a centralized planning from an economic standpoint failed. It did. And we witnessed that over the last 20, 30 years. Yet, we have seen really kind of a resurgence in, in pockets of the world of communist influence, the evil that comes when, when one or two dictate to the rest. We've seen a resurgence of socialism. We've even seen a growth among that. You know, in Latin America, we've seen it in our own country. What, what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that seem to benefit? And, and, and so people begin to question that again. Really, again, political structures, economic structures that, and don't get me wrong, democratic capitalism has its flaws too. It's not perfect. It's important to understand what the scriptures say and to understand what the scriptures say about economics. And I want to talk about that a little bit. What does the term social justice look like? What does it mean from a context of the church? Not what do the politicians say about it, but what does God say about it? Political corruption all over this earth. Nuclear proliferation. Small countries that we wouldn't have dreamed of 20, 30 years ago trying to build up arms. Overall collapse of biblical standards as it relates to life, marriage, holiness and sanctification within the church. Where have those thoughts gone? Where has, where has that line been drawn where the church realizes their call to live a sanctified and a holy and a pure life before the Lord? Materialism and consumerism, they run rampant in the nations of this world who have been blessed. They run rampant in our nation. We seem to be able to ignore the plight of a billion or so people on this earth. Not always, and I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm sharing convictions out of my own heart my own experience, 
There are over a billion people on this earth. They don't even have enough food to eat every day. Slavery. How many of you are, believe that the abolition of slavery in the United States ended slavery? Slavery exists today all over the world. It exists in Kansas City. Human trafficking has grown exponentially over the last 10 to 15 years. Forced labor, forced prostitution. Slavery exists in this world. It exists. I've seen it in Kansas City. I've seen it in the ministry I've done. Poverty is one of the most pressing issues of our time. I want to share a few statistics with you. 1.2 billion people live in extreme poverty, earning less than a buck 25 a day. Half of the world, more than 3 billion lives, live on less than $2.50 a day. 80% of the world, get this, 80% of the world live on less than $10 a day. So if you're in this room and you make more than 10 bucks a day, you're in the top 20% in the world economically. If you're in this room and your combined household income is six figures or greater, you would be in the top two to three percent in the world today. Approximately 22,000 children die each day due to poverty. One million of those are from starvation each year. A lot of it's also health and disease related. One in eight people don't get enough food to eat every day. The number of hungry people in the world exceeds, get this, here's another way to look at it. The number of hungry people in the world exceeds the population of the U.S., Canada, and Europe. More than 60% of the world's hungry are women and girls. So poverty, is, is, it, a, is it a woman's issue? 60%. The leading cause of child malnutrition is diarrhea caused by unsafe water. 98% of the world's undernourished lives in developing countries. Last statistic. Where is hunger the worst? In Asia, about 525 million. In Africa, 225 million. In Latin America and the Caribbean, about 40 million. I believe that many times, I want to share some excuses with you for maybe why we don't reach out and help those around us or those far away. These are just ones I came up with. See if you recognize if any of these have taken root in your own heart. There are so many people in the world and so many problems that I cannot make a difference. I'm going to talk about some of these excuses later, but I just want you to soak them in for a minute. 
Number two, the problems exist in faraway places. I'm here in Platte City, Missouri. What can I do? Three, once I have money, once I have a bunch of money, then I'll start helping other people. Number four, I don't have anything to offer. Number five, I don't have enough time. Number six, this is different than number four, and I'll share why, but I don't have enough resources. I believe God has such a love for the lost and compassion for the poor that he measures and supports the church by the measure with which we exercise our faith to bring the truth and preach of Christ through preaching of the gospel and acts of mercy to impact the seven billion souls that exist on this earth. Now I want to give, I want to invite Dr. Butel, did I pronounce that right? To come and talk a little bit about, many of you may or may not be familiar with the treasure chest, but in 2015 there was a makeover in the central office building moving a storage facility for special education from early childhood to to supplies and equipment to a stocked resource center that provides clothing and things like that to students within the district. And I wanted to give Dr. Butel? Butel. Butel, sorry, the chance to talk about that. That's okay. Thanks. I'm honored to be here among you all, um, especially because I feel that this congregation has blessed the school district in ways that are probably beyond your thinking. Um, as, as you said, um, we started the treasure chest as a way to get um, the things that were stored in closets and underneath desks of social workers and counselors in our district out from those places and into the hands of families and children who needed them. Our social workers all had their own little stack of stuff. They had granola bars and a couple of pairs of underwear and some socks shoved in boxes and in tubs under their desks and in their closets. And the problem with that was when you needed a pair of, I don't know, six, size six girls underwear and you didn't have that, your friend three buildings away did. And so we needed to centralize those resources. We also needed to create some work opportunities for some of our students who needed hands-on job skills. And so we kind of thought about taking the space that we had and pooling our resources, as people do, and creating a resource center. And the weird thing about that is that things never go the way you think. So let's talk about some stats here in Platte City and in Platte County. One in four of our children, a little over one in four of our children, are hungry. So I want you to take your hand and put it on your stomach while we have this conversation. And I want you to think about eating breakfast this morning if you're a breakfast eater. And if you're not, what you had last night. I myself woke up this morning hungry. I had had a great meal last night, and that tends to happen when you have one of those really good meals. You wake up the next morning and you're hungry. I was hungry. 
And the first thing I thought about is, hmm, what am I going to have for breakfast this morning before I head up to Platte City to the calling? I had that opportunity to have that thought. Think about the last bad day you had. Think about coming home from work or from school or from wherever you were that made it bad. I don't know about you, but I think about, hmm, what do I want to eat that might make me feel better? Not the super healthy thing to do. I understand that in terms of mental health. But what did I want to eat that would make me feel better? Think about those cold, cold days where you can't wait to get home to get that hot bowl of soup or that casserole or that bowl of chili with the cheese melted over the top. Or your favorite snack. Think about what your favorite snack is. I don't know if anybody else likes those flaming Cheetos, but that's mine. And think about one in four of our students, which basically means one in four of us, don't have those opportunities. They have whatever they can find and whatever is given to them to satiate that need. And we know that that need goes beyond that growling stomach. That need goes to being loved, right? When someone cooks for you, when someone brings you a hot meal, when someone brings you something when you're sick or you've just had a baby, that makes you feel loved. And this meal that we have is the biggest gift we've been given besides Jesus. And that is love. So let's talk about what happens when you're hungry because this is where we come in as a school district. And it's a way for me to channel my passion into something that's work appropriate. So when you're hungry, the first thing that happens is a change in mood. Anybody familiar with the word hangry? Right, right, my kids are raising their hands. Hi guys, hangry, where you're hungry and angry. And think about how little it takes for us to get hangry. And think about, we get the meals that we need for the most part and the meals that we want. Our mood changes, our memory suffers. When you are hungry, there have been research upon research studies on this. When you are hungry, your memory diminishes by anywhere from 25 to 55%. So think about what that means for our learners in our schools, for our employees in our community, if they're hungry. Your sleep suffers. When you're hungry, your sleep, your REM sleep, your deep sleep is not the same. You don't spend as much time down there. That's the restorative sleep. That's when children are young. That's when their brain development happens. Those pieces don't happen. Academics obviously suffer um, when you're hungry. And when you're hungry, your relationships suffer. Not just because you're hangry, but because you are thinking about resources. You're thinking about how can I take care of my family. You have shame because you can't take care of your family. And you have all of those pieces associated with not being where you want to be in life. And you don't have the snack, and you don't have the chili with the cheese on top. And you need resources. So I was walking across the parking lot um, last August at Price Chopper during the Pirates Rock kickoff before the first home football game. And we had just moved the Resource Center from the old central office, the one that looks like the Brickton trailer, to the one next door. I know that there are better words for these places, but those are the words that I know. And we had just moved it over there. And our hope was to open it to families. 
And it was a hope. It was a dream. It was a prayer in my head. And I ran into my now good friend, Justin Tyler. And he said, hey, how is it going? And I said, it's going great. School year, August is my favorite time of year. And he said, how are things going? What do you need? I said, oh, you know, for some reason, it came to my head. We have this pipe dream. We really want to hold this place open. My staff uses it every day when they need to run over and get something. Um, but we really need to take this directly to people in need. He said, well, I can take care of that. And I said, Justin, you have no idea what you're talking about right now. We're talking about every Wednesday night or ever. I said Wednesday night. That's what I came up with. Like two hours. We can talk about it. We'll see. Maybe we can get this started, you know, in October or November. And I got in my car and I drove over to uh, the football stadium uh, for the first game. And we know that's like, what, a two-minute drive, right? Drove over, got out of the car, um, walked up to the press box, and uh, Pastor Brady Testorf was there. And he said, we got you covered. Our church has you covered. I guarantee there are enough loving people in our congregation that will take care of this need. We will be able to have it open for you every Wednesday night, including the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, which is a huge sacrifice for families. And we'll have it open, and we'll staff it for you. Tell me what you need. And repeatedly, your congregation has said that. Tell me what you need. And I continue to tell you, <laughs> and you continue to provide. And it's an amazing, amazing gift that you're giving the community. One in four of our children are hungry, which means one in the four of us are hungry. We have food insecurities. We have all of those physiological and physical symptoms of hunger that I've talked to you about. And you guys are feeding these people. On average, right now, 70 individuals are served by the treasure chest each week by the time that you guys are serving them. That doesn't count all the setup that you do, all the cleaning and organizing of clothes. And those of you who have been there to deal with that basement, I pray for you every night because that's quite a challenge. And I'm overwhelmed when I walk in and see how different it looks from week to week to week um, as you handle the, cl the clothing part of the donations. 70 families or 70 individuals are served by your hands. And that doesn't count the times my social workers go over and grab something. And the connections that you've made as a church with people in the community. I know um, there have been some really cool stories of people coming for this and receiving that because that's really what they needed. And that's really powerful. I am here really to thank you. Every time I thought we're not going to be able to be open, we're not going to be able to make that next step, you guys have stepped up. You were the first um, organization that sponsored us financially with your Christmas offering two years ago. Um, you gave us $1,000. And that $1,000 kept us open till last August. Then we needed volunteers. You stepped up. You held it open. Magically, things would appear on the shelves. I would say we need Tide Pods to wash clothes, and they would magically appear. And with you, not only are you feeding the families of Platte County and the children of Platte County, you're also feeding yourselves. You're feeding your hearts, and you're seeing the gifts before you and embracing them. You're also providing an amazing work site for kids who need hands-on job ex exploration and experience. And their passion for what they're learning how to do is fueled by your love and care 
of the of the, the treasure chest because when they walk in there, they know that they're in collaboration with you and in direct work and support of what you all are trying to do and what we're trying to do. So really, I'm just humble before you thanking you for everything that you've done. And so that you know truly where there's one hungry child, there's a hungry family. And I can give you the kids' stats, but the family stats are bigger. One in four. So look around at the folks that you're with. We're not those one in four, but we know that they're out there. And I'm grateful for your love and care for them. And thank you for the collaboration. this back on it is. thank you so much for sharing <clears throat> I want to pray real quick Lord we just lift up the ministry of the treasure chest and we lift up everyone who's involved in that pray that they would not grow weary in doing good we pray that resources would continue to pour in and we pray for the 70 or 80 families right now that are impacted by that here in our community Pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Second Chronicles 16.9 says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to give strong support for those whose hearts are blameless toward him. I believe that many times in the church, we can see and witness the presence of the Lord, His power, His might, miracles of all kinds, when we simply put our faith in action. I believe that the Lord has blessed this nation and this community and the people in this church to be able to be First of all, to be able to support their, themselves and their families, but secondly, to be able to be a blessing to others. I have witnessed, it, many of you know, in, in around, around 2010, up until 2010, I was pastoring a church, and then I began kind of a parachurch ministry called Open Arms and began to, every week to do ministry in the city, in Kansas City. And I can, I can confirm with what Dr. Butel, did I get it right that time? Darn. Just said, you know, there are communities here within 30 miles where people don't have power. There are people who don't have food in their refrigerator. There have been times I've showed up with a bag of groceries and it was all the food they had in their house. There are people who move into abandoned neighborhoods in Kansas City, live throughout the winter, there are people who get their homes repossessed, but they're in such bad shape and they're in such bad neighborhoods that they'll get them repossessed by the bank and then they'll turn around and move back in without lights, without power, simply subsisting there. I want to encourage you. Luke chapter 4, 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. My question is, 
What happens when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you? Does the Spirit of the Lord come upon you? Does he move you in such a way of compassion and power that you start reaching out and you start having these adventures in faith? Do you begin to proclaim good news and blessing to the poor? Are you moved in your spirit to act? Have there been times when you are moved in your spirit, but you don't act? I remember years ago, I was in San Francisco on a business trip, and a guy was asking for money. And I walked by him, and every block I got past, I could feel the Spirit of the Lord convicting me. I got about three blocks away. Finally, I went back, said, hey, I, I don't have any money for you, but I'm getting ready to go for supper. Will you join me at International House of Pancakes? He looked at me all strange, and we got there and got to get ready to go in the door. And he didn't want to go in. He said, are you sure you don't want to just order this food for me, and I'll eat it outside? And I said, no, I want you to come in with me. He came in, and we sat down. Ordered, he ordered some pancakes, I remember that. This was a long time ago. But as he was eating his pancakes, he kept talking about how he'd gotten to living on the street. And he told the story over and over and over again. I realized he was really dealing with some mental illness. And he was having a difficult time to function. And right then and there, it kind of gave me a different and a new perspective when I saw, I don't know about you, but I, it's easier for me to be compassionate toward women or children when I see what I consider an able-bodied man on the street. Sometimes it's a little easier not to be compassionate, but sometimes we need to realize that they may be dealing with a lot of things that make them kind of incapable of, of, of providing for themselves. I can remember one time I was leaving for the city to go minister, and I had grabbed some water. And I normally didn't take water with me, because I always, you think, gosh, we live in Missouri. Everybody's got water. And when I brought this woman a bag of groceries, she started weeping. And she said, you have no idea how how much of a godsend this is because I literally have no food in my refrigerator. She said, it's so bad, I got my water shut off a few days ago, I don't even have water to drink. And I kind of smiled and I went out to my truck and I grabbed, I think I had two gallons. And I said, well, this isn't much, but the Lord must have been thinking about you this morning because before I got in my truck to leave, I, I felt prompted in the Spirit to put some water in there. See, when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, don't ignore his still, small voice. Because he, if you listen to him, you'll find that he's got this road map laid out for you and for your day. And yeah, he realizes you have your work. He realizes you have all the other responsibilities that you do. But it's amazing how the great conductor will maneuver things in, in, in such a way. And when you look back you know that it was him. One time, I was in the city with a man named Victor, and I was a little bit disappointed because we had set aside a half a day to go down and try to feed the poor. 
And I had been getting a, a, a local church here called The Rock has been a big blessing to my ministry for years. And they used to allow me to get food from their pantry. It's amazing, you know, I was talking about excuses and I think excuse number number six was I don't have enough resources. I will promise you this. If you commit yourself to begin serving the Lord and to begin blessing the poor, the Lord will put resources in your hands. He will just do it. We were, we were, I was inside Harvesters trying to get some food off the floor that morning, and they didn't have much, and I was disappointed because I really wanted to make a big splash that morning for Jesus. All of a sudden, Victor calls me. He, he was outside watching the truck, and he said, Brady, quick, a, a quick trip truck has come by here to drop off sandwiches because today's their last day. They expire today. Do we have room to take a bunch of sandwiches? And I said, how many is a bunch? He said, I mean a whole pallet full. Over 500. And I said, you're kidding. He said, no. I said, take them all. So we took these out of a refrigerated truck and put them in our trailer, which was not refrigerated. So I knew that we had to act quickly with these resources that the Lord had put in our hands, right? So we grabbed these sandwiches and we start going around. We went, to the, we went to a nursing home and there were about 20 people sitting out front in the kind of the entrance, elderly people. And we pull up and said, hey, and this was right about 11.15. And we asked them, what are you doing for lunch? Well, we don't know. They're not serving lunch in the cafeteria today. We were trying to figure out what we were going to do. We said, well, we have sandwiches for you. Would you like them? And so we unloaded about, I don't know, 30, 40 sandwiches right there. And we start preaching and sharing Jesus. You see, I, I want to I remind you of something. Don't simply do good acts. If you are of the faith, do your acts of mercy and share, the, and share the truth of Christ. When someone is hungry and they're fed, their heart is more open at that moment than it has ever been. And it's disappointing for me because I'm, I've been a member, I, I have been involved with a well-known ministry that you all would know. I've been out with them as they do their feeding, and they're a gospel ministry, but somehow they've gotten away from the gospel. They don't, at least the half a dozen times I had started to go out with them, they didn't share the gospel. In fact, the driver started inviting me to come because he knew I'd stand on the back of that truck and preach. People are hungry, and they're hurting. We pulled up to a... a, a we pulled up to a bus stop one time, and we're handing out this food. And this woman grabs this bag and gets on the bus and starts screaming and praising God and, and, and proclaiming, hey, these guys are out here praying for people and giving out food. And this woman jumped off the bus, and her stop was like 15 miles away. She jumped off the bus. Pastor B was with me that time. So we gave her her food, loaded her up in the truck, Gave her a ride home and talked to her about Jesus on the way and prayed for her. But you see, when you minister to the poor, always, always share the gospel. God wants us to have active and living faith. 
Proverbs 3.27, Do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. I was at a guest. I had taken Pastor Leonardo up to Omaha and Iowa to translate for him. And I'd pulled into this hotel. And right next to this hotel was a gas station. And this man, very frustrated, came up to me and asked me if I'd give him 10 or $20 for gas. He, had, he worked at Walmart. And he, he, he lived about 50 to 60 miles from where he worked. And he was on his way home and he ran out of gas. And he was at that gas station. He said he'd been at that gas station for two hours asking people if they would help him with a little bit of money to gas his car. But he said nobody would help him. And I gave him 20 bucks. And then I started talking to him about faith. And he shared with me a very difficult story. He had lost his fiancée in the last six months due to illness. He was very, very discouraged on life. We started talking about life and death and heaven and hell and sin. And he repented and he gave his life to the Lord that, that, that very night. Don't withhold good from those when you have the power to do something, even if it's a small act. You might say, there's too many people on this earth, I can't do anything. We can have an impact one soul at a time. We can have an impact one soul at a time. One of the reasons I started doing the outreach I was doing in the city is because I was seeing more bang for my buck and my time doing that than I was doing the work of the church, in the church. We would go out for a half a day and see two, three, four hundred people blessed, giving food, prayer, preached, receiving Christ, people being healed. James 2, 15 through 17 says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them things they need for their body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. Proverbs 19 reminds us that we actually can loan, give out loans to God. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. And I can personally testify to that. I can personally testify that it was never my motivation, but when I have given, I just, for some reason, I cannot ever outgive the Lord. I can't do it. Psalm 140 really reminds us that ministry to the poor is, is one of the main causes of the Lord. It says, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and he will execute justice for the needy. We cannot ignore the poor. We must not ignore the poor. Or even, it's interesting how the Lord talks about big subjects like Judgment Day. 
And then he goes right into the ministry to the poor. Think about that. Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people. Do you remember that? The sheep on the right and the goats on the left. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation. For I was hungry and you gave me food, and I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Do you see that? The Lord, as he's saying, okay, I've got the sheep over here. My sheep, those who are saved on judgment day, oh, well, of course, they're the people that fed the hungry. They're the people that did my work. Those are my sheep. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to go here real quick. I believe in insecurity. Many of you who know me know I believe in security. I've been to many nations in the world. I believe we should have a secure border. I don't believe that it's healthy for any nation just to simply have people who can come into their country anytime they want. And it's interesting coming for me because many of you know I pastored a Hispanic church for five years. I've been ministering to the Hispanic people in one way or another since 1986 when God broke my heart for them. I travel down there on business all the time, and I do not go down there without ministry. Yet I say we need to have a secure border. Yet I also say that the Bible says I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I know this. We have to love and welcome the stranger. Whether it's a stranger in our community, the stranger in our neighborhood, the stranger in our church... Or the stranger in our nation. If we are to have the love of the Father. In our heart. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying. Lord when did we see you hungry and feed you. Or thirsty and give you drink. And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison? He will say, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of my brothers, you did to me. The Lord even tells us to treat our enemies good. Romans 12, 20. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. We honor God when we're generous with those in need. Whoever oppresses the poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Partiality is an interesting sin. We do it in the church all the time. Boy, if somebody famous shows up or a pro athlete comes shows up, boy, we want to have him up here. 
or we want to put him in a seat of honor. We really do that. I mean, we're taught to, we're a networking fools these days. Facebook and this and Twitter and that and LinkedIn and the other. We all want to be known and we want to rub shoulders with people who are known. But we are reminded in James chapter 2, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in Jesus. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes, if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothes, you sit here and have this place of honor, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit in the back. Have you not made them distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in the faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into the court? Are they not the ones who blasphemy the honorable name by which you were called? I'm going to close here. I've got a lot more to share, but I'm going to close here. Even in repentance, we are reminded to minister to the poor. Luke, Luke chapter 3. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowd said, What shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. I want to go back to where I began. I want you to know that as I share this sermon, I'm convicted. As I prepare for this sermon, I'm convicted. I'm by no way sitting up here pretending and pointing fingers. I know there are a lot of loving and compassionate people in this congregation. I simply want to share what the Lord has put on my heart about this subject. And I want to encourage you to not grow weary in doing good. I want to encourage you that your one life can make a big impact on this earth. All those problems I listed, maybe God's put something else on your heart. So maybe it's, maybe yeah, you, you do want to minister to the poor, but you have a real burden for human trafficking, or you have a real burden for peace in the nations, or you have whatever God has put on your heart. I want to encourage you, never, ever, ever let those excuses I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough time. I don't have anything to offer. Once I have more money, I will, I will do this. Problems aren't anywhere around here. There's so many people. How can I make a difference? I don't know. I, I was able to share some of those because they were excuses I've used over the years. I don't know what. Maybe I'll have other ones. But all I know is, let's remove those from our heart. Let's remove those from our lives and really put our faith into action and see what the Lord can do with the few humble servants who love him and want to serve him. Amen?